Let's go ahead and grab our Bibles and open them to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. It is page 1007 in the Pew Bible. So, page 1007 in the Pew Bible. Hebrews chapter 11. Now, for those of you who may not know about the book of Hebrews, that was, it can be a little confusing because it's like the Old Testament was written mostly uh, by and for Jewish people, whereas the New Testament is written more for all the nations, and that is quite true. Um, so it can be a little confusing because Hebrews seems like it's a little out of context that way. But what we have to remember is the book of Hebrews is a New Testament book written primarily to Christians who were Jewish. Okay? Uh, the church started off as a very Jewish thing and uh, began to expand later. So these are, these are people who came to Christ as Jewish people, and persecution had scattered them all across the Roman Empire. This persecution that they were facing was causing some of these Jewish Christians to think twice about their Christianity. They were saying to themselves, maybe I'll just hedge my bets and go back to being a Jew, and that will be easier. I, it, I, I might still get persecuted by the emperor, but at least I won't be persecuted by other Jewish people. The writer of the book of Hebrews is talking to just those people to those people who are tempted to go back to their old way of faith simply because of difficulty, persecution, trial, etc. In fact, as you read through the book of Hebrews, and we will if you're following along in our annual Bible reading, just remember that, and it colors all the rest of the book for you. You understand the book so much better. This book is written to Jewish Christians who are under persecution from other Jewish people. And they're tempted to say this, well, if I'm a Jew, I'll go to heaven, no matter what. And the writer says, not so. Not so. You will only go because of Christ. Do not draw back. Do not draw back. And he's encouraging them forward in their faith. Okay? So, Hope you can remember that. Now, you might say, okay, well, who was the book of Hebrews written by? Well, if you know that, then I'm going to cede the pulpit to you and let you teach us uh, for the rest of the time because nobody knows uh, except for God and the writer himself, okay? Um, maybe in heaven, God will tell us who wrote the book of Hebrews, but this is a, this is a, it's been so debated through the years, it's almost like a, a comedy now. Uh, it's almost a caricature now. Note that the writer stays anonymous for reasons uh, known to him and his audience at the time. His audience clearly knew who he was, but that is now lost on us, who he was. But it doesn't really matter, okay? Um, it doesn't really matter if we don't know who wrote it. Um, this was written by a, a, leading, a leader of the church in this day to Jewish Christians, encouraging them in their walk with Christ, Okay? So as you turn to Hebrews 11, we've been working through our study on faith. Let's do a little review, and then we'll pray, and we'll start with an illustration. This will be our last one, by the way. Beginning next week, Pastor Chris is going to do a little series on 
um, being a technology-wise Christian home, okay. having a tech-wise Christian home. Um, I asked Pastor Chris to do this because um, those of you who have noted the arc of my children, they're starting to get older and bigger. They're starting to get more involved with technology. We can't just take it from them. We have to teach them how to steward it. Um, simply turning it off isn't going to do it because their careers are going to be dependent on skillful use of it. And so we need to help them learn redeeming Christian ways to use the technology God has given us. And this begins with wise adults. <laughs> and so Pastor Chris isn't going to be teaching us, teaching kids, he's going to be teaching adults. Okay. So, and I've asked him to do that. He's going to take three Sundays, beginning next Sunday. And uh, the calendar sort of dictated that he start next week. And so he's going to go from there. And I'm, I'm very confident that he's got a lot of really sound advice uh, for us. And it's going to be very good. And I'm, I'm, I'm excited to learn from him. Uh, over the next three weeks, okay? Back to faith. What are our three parts of faith? What are our three parts of faith? Yes, that's right. The believer believes the believed. Now, we've covered mostly the believed. Who is, and who's the believed? God himself, all right? And We've covered a lot of what believing means. What is the main synonym for believing? What is the main synonym? What, put some words on believing that we would use other than believe, that correctly convey the New Testament idea of believing. Trust, good, good. Confidence, yes, that's another good one. What else? Certainty, that's a good one. That's a good one, yes. It, there's another one. It's close to trust. Entrust, yes, to entrust ourselves, to entrust ourselves. Okay, today what we're going to focus on is the believer, okay? Because in Hebrews chapter 11, what we see is a series of believers. The writer of Hebrews is encouraging us in our own believing by pointing to all these believers. Fair enough? All right, let's pray, and we'll go from there. Father, give us grace to know this passage well. Give us grace to um, be people of faith, to be people of belief and confidence and certainty in yet future things. For we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, I have a, I'd like to start with a little thought-provoking thought scenario. Okay, and I want you to participate with me. Okay, I want you to imagine that it's 2,000 years from now, 2,000 years from right now, and the dominating world power at the time, 2,000 years from now, has decided that the events of September 11th, 2001, were a hoax, that it was a government ploy for Americans to collect more oil from the Middle East. They have preserved the video evidence, but as the theory goes, that was all faked with CGI and it never happened. That it was an elaborate government 
excuse to collect oil. Now, is that too far-fetched? <laughs> Could you believe that 2,000 years from now people might believe that? Okay, now let us pretend that, that there's some scientists, some historians, and they say, well, we want to get to the bottom of this. And so they conduct a huge forensic study. They go to New York City and they conduct archaeological excavations. They carefully examine all the videographic evidence using the technology available at the time. They read all the eyewitness accounts. They do a study of comparative religions. They do character assessments of the leaders who were held responsible for the events. And these scientists, after an extensive forensic study, conclude that the events of 9-11-2001 were not a hoax, that they actually happened. Okay? What would we call that? They go to the governing powers and they say, Sir President Governing Power, based on our findings, the events of 9-11 are historical. They happen. What do we call that? This is where you participate. <laughs> what would we call that? Looking backward at evidence, drawing conclusions. Say again? Fact-finding? Ralph, how about you? Oh, I thought, I, I thought I'd heard you talk. It was somebody else. I'm sorry, Ralph. Theory. Okay, what else? Research. What would we call the conviction of the historians who did this? Belief? What else? Evidence, okay. Conviction, that's the word I just used. That's a good word. No, no, it's fine. I gave it away. <laughs> Is it, would you put it up there with religious belief? Well, why not? Why would you feel uncomfortable calling that faith? Yes. Okay. Now we're getting to it. Now we're getting to it. We have drawn a distinction between faith and evidence. What if I told you this? I think everybody's seeing the tension of this, right? What if I told you this? That the New Testament definition of faith is this. Everything we just said, pointing backwards, right? Take that same thing and turn it forward. That's faith. Okay? Make sense? Evidence, first-hand accounts, 
trust that it happened, conviction. But instead of looking backward, that same set of words is pointing forward. That's the New Testament definition of faith. Let me explain. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Okay? Let's break this apart a little bit. This verse right here is notoriously hard to translate. This, 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 this verse right here is notoriously hard to translate. Mainly because of, well, because of a few different reasons. Number one, the verbs are all passive. Okay, does everybody know what a, a passive verb is? If I said, I throw the ball, that's an active verb. But if I say, the ball was thrown, that's passive. And these are passive. Okay? That makes it challenging to translate. The second thing that makes it challenging to translate is that the words are vague. The words can be used for a lot of different things. We have the same phenomenon in English. If I were to say, somebody define for me the word thing. He would go, oh my, that's tough to define. Well, that's actually one of the words in here, pragmata, things. Okay. It's hard to sort of pin down what exactly these words mean. Or what if I asked you to define the word essence? Define the word essence. That would be challenging to define, wouldn't it? That's one of the words in this verse. So let's, let's stick with some basic ideas, and we'll arrive at a really good conclusion, okay? Look at that word assurance, okay? Look at that word assurance, and if you like to write in the, in the um, margins of your Bible, I would suggest writing down 2 Corinthians 9.4, okay? 2 Corinthians 9.4, and I'm going to turn there, and I'd encourage you to turn there with me, because this will help you really understand this word. Paul says, otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident. That's our word, confident. It's the same word in Hebrews 1 that's assurance. So let's supply that word and see if that might help us a little bit. Faith is the confidence of things hoped for. Faith is the confidence of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. Let's also talk about that word conviction. The word conviction can be found in 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching and for 
reproof. That's the word for conviction, for truthfulness, okay? for reality. So let's apply those words and see if that helps us understand this a little bit better. Because how many of you have ever read Hebrews 11.1, 1, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, and gone, I have no idea what that means. <laughs> I, that's how I feel most of the time when I read this verse, but I have to remind myself. Faith is the confidence of things hoped for, the conviction or the truth or the reasons convincing of things not seen. Okay, so here is what this is saying. Just like in our little scenario at the very beginning, people looked back and said, I did all the research. I did an extensive study and found the evidence to be convincing. It happened. I am certain that the events of 9-11-2001 were real. Just like that, we look at God and we say, I am certain that God rose Christ from the dead. I've looked at the evidence. I've seen how trustworthy he is. And he did that. Furthermore, because he raised Christ from the dead, I am convinced that he will do everything else that he said he would do. Because I can look at God and look at these events and be convinced, I can be certain that the things he hasn't yet done will most definitely come to pass. And I can look forward with as much convincing certitude as I can look backward. Now, does that clarify things for us? Do we have questions on this point? I want to make sure we get this down before we move forward. Is that clear? Okay, good. Faith, I've got five points of faith. Okay? Faith is looking at God and determining him to be trustworthy. Faith is looking at God and saying, He's trustworthy. He, he did everything he said he would do. Number two, faith is learning what God has said and reckoning his words to be true. Faith is looking at what God has said and reckoning his words to be true. Imagine... Let's, let's pick somebody at random in here, okay? I'm going to pick Daniel Penner. Okay, imagine Daniel Penner came to you 
and said, can I borrow $100 from you? Times are tough right now. Gas is $5 a gallon. I can, I can only afford to pay you back $10 a week in 10 installments. Okay? Now, how many of us would just give Daniel $200 at that point? We would. But let's say we go, okay, we agree to this. Pay me back $10 a week for 10 weeks. We know Daniel's a trustworthy guy. We say, he's a deacon in our church. We voted on him unanimously. He's serving us. He's a good guy. He keeps his promises. And guess what? Week number one, $10 shows up. And week number two, $10 shows up. And week number three, $10 shows up. And week number four and five and six. How many of you are worried on week seven that $10 is going to show up? Anybody? Anybody sweating week seven? No, because what you have learned of him by testimony, you have experienced by him through his actions. This is what faith is. Learning by testimony who God is, entrusting yourself to him, and watching God come through week after week after week after week. Now, some of you may have been a little apprehensive on week number one. Will Daniel come through with that $10 payment? But by the time you get to week seven, it's a foregone conclusion. In fact, you feel a little silly asking him for it by week seven, right? The same is true of faith with God. Faith is looking at God and determining him to be trustworthy. Faith is learning what this God has said, reckoning his words to be true. Furthermore, faith is altering our lives or acting in such a way that shows that we accept God's trustworthy character. Faith is acting in such a way to show that you really believe that God is going to come through. Okay, let's stick with our Daniel illustration. It's week seven. And maybe you're out of money now. But your children come to you and they say, can we go get some ice cream? And you say, we will do it on Saturday. I promise, because I know Daniel is coming through on Friday. You know it. He's done it every Friday. And he's a good guy. He's going to come through. Now, as much as we love and respect Daniel, he's not God. <laughs> this is the life of faith. It's like, I've learned and seen that God is trustworthy. I've seen God come through for me so many different times. Now, God is asking me 
to accept something not yet seen, something I don't yet have in my hand, but I know he's going to come through. And I believe he will. So I'm going to step my life out in such a way as to demonstrate and show that I know God is going to come through. That's the life of faith. Okay? Now, I've done ourselves a small disservice by putting it into the financial realm. Very often, faith is financial, isn't it? But that's a, that's a subset of faith. Okay, it's a subset of faith. God, God tells us, for example, the blessings that come with child-rearing. And the world and our flesh will tell us otherwise. But we step out over here saying, I reckon God to be true on this point. And I'm in the face of this resistance or potential resistance, I'm going to raise my kids this way, believing that God will commend it and will come through and then watching God do it. Okay, number four. Faith is the joy of watching God come through. Faith is the joy of watching God come through. I can't tell you what a joy it is to put yourself in what feels like a very risky position to see God come through. In fact, the writer of Hebrews references this when he talks about the men who entered the fiery furnace. They had no specific promise that God would deliver them from the fiery furnace. They had a hope. And they said, O king, if God, if Nebuchadnezzar, if God delivers us from this fire, great. But if not, you need to know there's one God in heaven and we worship him, not you. You ain't him. Burn us if you will. Nebuchadnezzar tosses him into the fiery furnace and they don't even have smoke on them. Can you imagine the joy they had walking out of that furnace? If ever there was a time you were permitted to say, I told you so, that was it. That was it. One of my favorite testimonies is of a man named um, <laughs> Jay Gresham Midget. I had his Louis Ferry Schaefer. He founded uh, Dallas. Uh, he founded a Dallas uh, college. It's a Bible study college turned into a seminary. Louis Ferry Schaefer's wife got mad at him all the time. You know why? He kept giving all of their stuff away. <laughs> and she would say, Louis, we got to live on something, and you keep giving it away. And he said, have you missed a meal, baby? I don't know if he said it like that, but he said, have you missed a meal? We haven't all given God yet. He'll come through. And he'd give more stuff away, and she'd get mad at him again. He died not owing anybody a nickel and left her a rather wealthy woman because of the publications of his books through no fault of his own. 
Because <laughs> he kept trying to give it all away. He just knew God was going to come through, and he had so much joy in watching God do that. Again, I'm doing us a disservice by putting into the financial realm because that's a small part of watching God be faithful. And I, I probably should break away from that idea just so we understand. Number five, when people do the previous four steps, okay, when we look to God and determine him to be trustworthy, when we learn what God has said and reckon him to be true, when we alter our lives, trusting that God will come through. And when we experience the joy of watching God come through, I'm going to tell you something. That faithful person is suddenly capable of extraordinary things. That's what Hebrews 11 is about. People whose faith compels them to the extraordinary. You've got a 90-year-old woman who accepts the miracle of God. You've got a prostitute who accepts salvation from a foreign army. You've got a drunk who's had a string of illicit affairs who asks God for strength one last time to do God's will. And God honors that. You've got a young man whose brother hates him for his faith, but he keeps offering right sacrifices. You've got a man who, of whom God was so pleased with, he didn't force him to die. He just took them up. When you've got another guy, he had a temper. He took a hundred years to build a boat that saved the world. When you do steps one through four, you are capable of extraordinary things. Because of you, because God comes through for you, doesn't he? Now, last thought, last thought. I have to get through with this because it's Pastor Chris next week and I'm wrapping this up. If I could say, last thought, faith is a muscle. Okay, faith is a muscle. And like any muscle, it must be exercised for it to grow. Like any muscle, it quickly atrophies for disuse. Back a few years ago when I got really hit hard with pneumonia, I was a month in the bed. Before pneumonia hit, I was running 10, 12 miles. A month in the bed, Doc said I could exercise. I went out for a little jog. I made it 90 seconds before my body seized up. I couldn't... it's not, it wasn't a matter of want to. My muscles quit working after one month of inactivity. Faith is like a muscle, and in the absence of exercise, it quickly atrophies. Okay. Faith, like any muscle, can't be mistreated. 
and then expect it to perform. You can't fill your body with junk and garbage and then expect it to perform when you need it to. No. Faith is a muscle. It needs to be exercised for it to grow. So, look to God. Reckon Him to be faithful. Step out in it. Experience the joy of His working. And then, watch the extraordinary things that God might do through you. You won't feel any better about it then than you do now. But the joy you get afterward will be substantial. Let's pray. Father, help us believers to look to you and count you trustworthy. Help us to reckon your word to be true. Help us to exercise our faith and step out in faith. Help us to do it boldly because you are a faithful God. For we pray all these things in Jesus' name.